Welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. This week on the show, we have Loris Bertolacci, strength and conditioning coach at the Shanghai Sports Institute. Loris has coached across four decades with multiple AFL clubs, Olympic level athletes and squads, including the Australian women's volleyball team. Before we start episode 34, the Prepare Like a Pro podcast mission is to empower aspiring athletes and staff with practical knowledge from some of the industry's most inspiring individuals and to strengthen the AFL community. If you like the show, please show your support by following us on Instagram and subscribing while we are on YouTube, iTunes and Spotify. For those that are jumping on, guys, feel free to send your questions through to Loris. I'm just going to invite him to join me live. Bear with me. He's all the way in over in China at the moment. This may take a little bit longer than normal. Just sending the invitation over. And here he is. How you going, mate? Yep, hopefully you can hear me from China. <laughs> Loud and clear. So you're in the gym. I'm in the gym as well, actually. Has just finished your session? Yeah, yeah, they did a velodrome session and I had to do some video taping of it. So, yeah, I've just come down from the velodrome into the gym. <laughs> nice. We'll get cracking straight into it, mate. Um, take us back to the beginning. When did you discover a passion and elite sport and, and strength and conditioning was going to be your career path? Well, I'm a bit of a geriatric. I think in the mid-70s, I was in an athletic club, Preston Athletics Club, and I was always I was always helping athletes with programs. And, yeah, I had a bit of an inkling that might be where I headed but yeah in reality it was after I retired in 1982 that I took up sprint coaching yeah just went for it from there really yeah okay so, so sprint coaching so at what level were you working with at the start of your career Oh, oh no, no! I had uh, I had a pretty good group. I had this is probably 1982. I had an elite an elite runner, a 104 runner at that time, 103, 103, uh, I had a few people under 11, and uh, yeah, pretty good squad. So I did that for. I started AFL, which was a, a great learning curve for me. It was, it was a fantastic experience. I made a lot of mistakes, a heap of mistakes, because I came in sort of all power, all strength, all speed because of my throwing background. So uh, yeah, I made, made a few mistakes, but. I certainly learned heaps and obviously learned on the job. I was training sprinters and they were running in state titles and national titles <laughs> and professional races and stuff like that. So that, that was a fantastic learning curve, yeah. How, how did you start in AFL? What was the – was there a connection within the club or – or did you interview for the role? Oh, no, no, that was... I mean, athletics is still the same. You just you just offered a coach. You do it for nothing. I did it for nothing for probably three years. Uh, and you probably wouldn't do it now. So it was like five, six days a week going there, you know, reading up everything I could. And, and, and obviously, I've been a, a track and field athlete anyway. But yeah, I did it for nothing. Probably was you know, a huge grounding for me to do it. And obviously, working with the with athletes that were good enough to compete at national titles and getting to vote. So it was a, it was the real thing. It was pretty fast stuff. And yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, I mean, it was the 80s, but still net field. My brother-in-law is in his 70s, but he's still coaching at the national level, at the international level, Gus, and doesn't get a cent for it. So track and yeah, field right. is uh, different to... Yeah, yeah. You'll find that a lot throughout track and field, which is, which is really shocking, really within Australia but yeah you just get a lot of people that do it for the love of it and some of them are really good coaches yeah. and so how do you make a living when, you, when you're doing that are you personal training or what well, that was the 80s that was the 80s I think it's a little bit different now I don't think I could have done it now if I flip into if I was the same age now I, I really don't think that that would be a reality but it was sort of accepted then so you just worked during the day and did different things I worked in gyms and was selling Nike shoes and <laughs> just do, doing different stuff 
and then lobbing into the track from 5 till 7.30 at night and training people. So it's just that's just the way it was. I, I, I think it was a good grounding for me because I never sort of, because I had a love for the sport and even now I'll go beyond and above the, the call of duty because of passion, even though I'm earning money now. So I've never been one to do that, which is, which is the big argument now in strength and conditioning should you be an intern should you do stuff for nothing I, I just think you have to really there's no got to get dirty you've got to train people and have disasters occurring in front of you basically you, you transition from track and field being a hammer thrower and, and working with sprinters to, to football I know you, you made a few mistakes early days with that transition I know you brought a fair bit of strength and power stuff to to AFL I imagine there would have been a lot of steady, steady state running going on back then and potentially more bodybuilding yeah, type of training look at yeah, look, it was 87 to 93. I was sort of basically the strength and conditioning guy at Essendon Football Club. I, I, I got the job. Look, Essendon was pretty good. They'd had Freddie Lehman before me as a, as a strength coach, and he'd been a, an international sprinter. And people like the Bazanko boys were, were playing in the reserves, played a few senior games. They were and there was always yes there was steady state running but yeah, there, there, there was probably a lot of interval training things like 10 300s 10 200s but I wasn't at that stage I wasn't driving the, the running training Peter Powers was that started a little bit in 93 and then 94 where I became a head strength and conditioning coach so I got the chance to sit back and and, and digest it all over the six years but but certainly by 1990 I brought a friend of mine in Oscar Kender who'd been an international decathlete and he became the sprint coach at Essendon that was 1990 and we really were doing sprints and plyometrics and Olympic lifting then and certainly the 93 team was born and bred through speed and power absolutely it wasn't that we were doing different to now in fact we were probably doing more speed then than they are now but we probably weren't doing all the rehab and pre-activation and individualized training and such and such it was like sprint run upstairs do some bounding do some plyometrics and and train hard and get in the gym and squat and power clean but yeah we were doing glute hands then but believe it or not 1991 92 93 because i've been to europe so it's people think all this stuff's new but it's not really it, it, a lot of the rehab and activation stuff's pretty new were essendon ahead of their time because of having track and field guys at the club or were other clubs yeah, it's a good question yeah yeah 100 percent we were yeah well it was interesting unfortunately matt barber died recently matt was the strength and conditioning coach at the eagles in the and he was a an elite sprint coach and even when he died he was still coaching at the highest level sprinting so he was at West Coast I was at Essendon and uh, then Danny Corcoran came to Essendon in 91 I think and so we, we had three track and field people because Danny Corcoran uh, you know, had, had a track and field background and he, he was became the manager obviously but he was the fitness advisor we were doing it together and Oscar so we definitely I think were ahead of the curve yeah and then pretty much right through that whole 90s and, and then even the transition from when I left to join in 99 it, it sort of kept that sort of focus I think yeah so we're very fast team very fast team and in fact I had speed lights I bought the first speed lights from and in 95 so I've got all the data yeah accurate data and, oh, and, right. and yeah 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 so I mean I, I know how quick they were and uh, so we were doing the traditional 20 meter test that they do in the draft camp and, and not pumping up my tires but I, I set that up because that was being done indoors so look things like if you didn't do under three seconds you were a donkey basically yeah yeah yeah, yeah. anybody over three was deemed yeah it was deemed a bit slow so what, what were they? You, had, you had people 
you had people like Dustin Fletcher who were doing under 28, 275, yeah, which right. is why he, he played till he was 40. And Nicky Simons, who was a halfback flanker, he was doing under 28. Scotty Cummings, who was a full forward, he was 28. Yeah. Power cleaning, 125, 130. So, yeah, that, that was, we had a speed culture there. We had a speed culture. It was a pretty good, pretty good team. Think about it. <laughs> 93, 95, 96, 98. 90, yeah, so that whole era, the guys were, and then John obviously did the same thing. In fact, if anything, he probably did even more speed than I did. Yeah. So it was, it was a strength power culture from about 1990. And did it take you a while to, to get to get buy-in with that? Yeah, I, I didn't get real buy-in from, more, more from the players. Look, it was part-time. It was AFL 87, 88, 80, but it was not real full-time. But significantly, there was a guy called David Whedon came to Essendon and he became a big ally within the coaching setup. And he's pretty famous. He's done a lot of the skill acquisition stuff. And he, he really pushed with sheets that we've got to do comprehensive speed power strength training blah 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 so so that was really good so we started probably a comprehensive speed power strength program in 91 and went basically crazy in 92 with it we're just lifting as heavy as we could and bounding as hard as we could and sprinting as fast as we could we won a premiership in 93 a super explosive team with young kids but I, but we were getting a little bit too much injury i thought that was probably 95 96 where i look back which then sort of uh, changed i changed a little bit the way i did things at some point within that mini era but but uh, yeah, I think West Coast and Essendon in that sort of era there were way ahead of the curve, really, in terms of strength power from other teams. And obviously the results show too, they dominated. Absolutely. And so you mentioned the injuries, so you, you shifted some of your methods. What, what were some things that changed? Yeah, it's the argument now, the performance enhancement argument versus injury prevention. So, you know, you, I actually read something on LinkedIn now. You know, what's really important is having players available. Well, that's quite obvious, right? And the, the data shows that. But you've also always got this balance between you want to get them faster, fitter, stronger, but you don't want them to get injured. Right? And certainly, I, even though in 95, 96, I was at Collingwood for a year. We actually, when I was at Collingwood, I got a lot of injury mid-year and it really made me think about it. And then 95, 96, we still did really well at Essendon in terms of performance enhancement slash performance enhancement slash uh, injuries. Uh, results. Injury we, we, were actually semi, we were actually in semi-finals and preliminary finals, so the results were quite good. But I did feel there was a little bit too much injury, you know, the, the pelvic area and all that sort of stuff. So basically, and I was saying this a while ago in, in another sort of talk, by 97, 96, I was starting to look at the Pilates area and Paul Check and core stability and injury prevention. And, and without going through a number of years and why, I, I went too far one way by 99 when I was in Geelong in my first year like injury prevention and then I just pulled it back a little bit in 2000 back to a nice balance between injury prevention and performance enhancement but that, that yeah, yeah what did you notice in 99 like was the cultural change of not working hard well I had a, I, I went Geelong in 99 yeah no 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 no, not at all I went to Geelong in 99 there were a lot of old players there it was a transitional area so we were recruiting that sort of super group of Geelong at Corey Enright so that and we had a lot of guys like Barry. So I basically just went very conservative, very much screening, Pilates, yoga, individualized programs, fine tuning. Didn't do any heavy weights, anything really hard. 
it's actually really worked. We still did enough to be, but I just felt they weren't the performance enhancement side of it wasn't enhanced, wasn't there enough. So therefore, basically, that was gone from one extreme to the other. And then I just realised you just got to sit in the middle all the time. You've got to you've got to find a happy medium and just individualise a program, which 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 I don't think everybody still does properly. Some clubs I don't think do well now. I think yeah. some clubs yeah you know, possibly go down a course instead of just saying, well, I've got a group of 50 people here. They're all different. So it doesn't really matter what they do. If, if every player is doing a different program, it really doesn't matter. That, that's tough, especially now with the reduced staff levels in the AFL. It's going to make it harder to individualise programs. That's a challenge, yeah. Absolutely. And, and did you have some strong influences to your career during these times or, or were you sort of more self-taught and, and educated reading books? How, how did you sort of develop yourself? Look, I think I was telling somebody a while ago on the different sort of history. <laughs> I was lucky enough to train in Europe twice and I was literally in the training camps where people like Bondachuk and Peter Sheeney and all the greats of periodization were. I was actually there on the ground with them and training. And yeah, right. that was the late 70s. And there was an explosion of strength and conditioning in the late 70s in Europe, but from the East German Russia. It was pretty much everything that's done now was done there. Then, uh, not, not the injury prevention side, the actual, you know depth jumping and altitude jumping and all that sort of stuff. So so I was introduced to everything there by some, you know, amazing coaches. I, I paid my own way there to sort of develop as an athlete, but but obviously the influence that that had. And then and then I suppose, yeah, I was self-taught, to be honest, in that sort of 80s era. Anything I could get my hands on, I'd read. You know, track and field technique in those days, you could buy journals from the States. Yes, it's Review, which is a Russian review, which was to be published in, in they, they were pushing glute ham razors in 80s. <laughs> in 1986 but yeah so, so I think that it's a bit of a balance but uh, look I've always I was a very big one once I got into AFL I was a very big one for sourcing the best info I could and and I'd, I'd, I'd go to the AIS every year for two or three weeks at the end of the season and just talk to people and made a lot of connections throughout. I just ask a lot of questions, a little bit of spying, a little bit of bit of everything. So and and a lot of my own sort of development from what I'd done in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks for sharing that, mate. And and you've worked with a lot of individual world class athletes as well as successful teams winning winning premierships. Are there certain traits that you've noticed over your time that you start to notice all oh, that I reckon that kid's going somewhere when you see a younger developing athlete oh no doubt no doubt look it's all individual because some people again we go back to programming which is individualized we should be individualized well the same with emotional traits and motivational traits that athletes have it, it's hard to sometimes pinpoint at 14 15 16 I, I am a big one though for uh, waiting odd person that just smacks you in the face at 14 15 it's just a amazing but I, I do like to wait till 17 18 19 to really see how that person copes with life and, and all, all all those other things because yeah a little bit sometimes I mean I'm just thinking now of three or four kids that I was training 10 years ago that were absolutely to use a word every clamshell well and everything but but they never I, I know them all and, and they all got to 18 and they wanted to go out and party and life changed for them. So a little bit difficult to, to sort of, 
I think you need to have that mass of people well-educated up till about 16, 17, 18, and then you see who comes through. And, and I don't think there's any one trait. That, I mean, the, ob- the obvious ones is they're disciplined. They're uh, always disciplined. I think they're motivated. And some people have some unique traits that, that can't be uh, X factors and stuff like that. Some people are just driven. And, and I think one of the things, uh, actually, I saw Bruce Connor jumped on. I hopefully he's still like, uh, hey, Bruce, how are you? My shoulder's still stuff, Bruce. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Demand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And one of the things that I did learn was when there was the supplementary list in the 90s, which was the, the rookie list now, right? And uh, people like Adam, he's a coach now, and a plethora of guys like that, I think of a few other people. Berbikoff, people like that. You could just see when they got in at 18, they were, they were in inverted commas average <laughs> or deemed average, but they just had that drive that they said, we, they were single-minded drive. They'd made a decision. They'd made a decision. We're going to make it. We've got an opportunity. We're going to make it, and I'm not going to stuff it up. And they would do everything in their power to get there. So I think it's pretty obvious what, what it needs. Um, and, and then you need a bit of luck because a lot of people have got that. You know, you need, you need to be good at it. And then in team sports, somebody's got to like it too. Bit of a bit of another factor. So be patient, like you said, and enjoy yourself in those early years rather than taking it being too anal early on. And as well as making sure that you've got that drive uh, and motivation, it's got to be you know, intrinsic, doesn't it? Deep down, you really got to want it. Want it. Well, well, yeah. And, and look, sometimes you can take a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Sometimes it will take an athlete till they're 21 to 22 to I've, nearly, I've, I've been doing the training. I'm actually pretty good, but I've just got to go extra. It could be 21, 22, 23. Uh, so it does take time for some people because you've got the whole social side. And, and I mean, I, the thing that killed me as an athlete at 25, 26 was the whole social lifestyle thing. I just had few problems as an athlete. So I was very privy to that myself. I was very sensitive to what how people... Uh, develop as people because ultimately at some point you've got to deal with life too and that's why this that transition from 18 to 20 is really important and some people just fall out even though they're talented it's not only motivation but they just stuff things up and that's where you need somebody to help you to guide you uh, which is not bad in an afl club obviously yeah. that's why in an afl club you might be a, a bit of a dipstick at 18, 19, 20, but somebody recognises you're talented, they keep you on the list, and then at 21, if you turn the corner and you don't get, you don't go to jail or something like that, you make it. So it's it, it's a lot of it's multifactorial, yeah. But I, but I think we I think we call it too soon. I think we call it too soon. We call it too soon with 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 athletes. I think, yeah. and I think that's the problem with. I still think that's a still. But, well, it's actually improving. I haven't. I'm not privy to the changes, but with the with the TAC or whatever it is now, a lot of the good little boys get through your rough and tough sort of possibly for any one of a better word social misfits <laughs> so if you're a good little pub, public uh, public sorry uh, private school boy you've probably got a better chance of getting into afl or you're a good little boy because you interview well and you're nice well, well there's no such thing as being nice in sport really you just want people i mean you didn't yeah, it's a pretty interesting area. For sure. I think you've had Gary O'Donnell. Is he a mate? Is he set through? He's a, he's a, he's a, that's a funny question there. Yeah, he's a great yeah. friend of mine and he was a great athlete. He's probably, he's probably right up there with the best all-round athlete that played in AFL from speed to endurance to power to strength. Yeah, he pretty much had it all. And he, he definitely took ages to make it and he definitely minded uh, mindset to actually get there, which took literally an overseas trip to Tokyo, I think. 
some game that he got in and he played well. I think something like that. He was at the. He was. I remember he was deciding whether to go to Yarrawonga to get eight hundred bucks a week. It'd be interesting if I'm right there or stay at Essendon. But he made the decision yeah. and earn a hundred bucks a week in the reserves and made it. But yeah, he was fantastic. Great athlete. Great desire. Great. Uh, great yeah. bloke. Yeah. <laughs> true. Is it true that Michael P beat a maximum? No, no, it's not true. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. But what is true, it's actually amazing, is that I never forget that night. It was Thursday night and we did our last training session and in those days it was very social. The, the room upstairs was literally jam-packed with all the hangers-on and people having a feed and a drink. It's probably VB going on two days before. And Mick, Mick in fact, I'll t- I'll, actually, it's quite the opposite. I, I got, I just remember it to this day. He did every, he didn't want to go up. He didn't want to talk to people. So he stayed with me in the gym. And he's a funny guy, hilarious, hilarious, funny man. And uh, he, I think he did every upper body exercise he could possibly do that night. Incline press, dumbbell curls, push downs. We just stayed in there for an hour. And it was like the opposite of what you think you should do <laughs> two days before a grand final. Then he ran about 15 metres per second on the grand final day but but he had a good squat yeah he didn't want to do weights when he got there but by the time that era occurred he was a very very good power cleaner you know well over 100 kilos for reps yeah okay we've got last question before we wrap it up but the decal loris tell me the time you outrun me made me tweak my hip while it was meant to be the (laughs) newer 55 oh my god oh my god that's dane kelly yeah well dane's an international tennis player has been ranked between 250 and 16,000 in his career (laughs) i still help him a little bit online so so i started training dane when he was 19 he's now 30 and yeah until my hip exploded on me a couple of years ago i used to like to take him on in some sprints and yeah classically one day at 55 i think we were sprinting and he did a quad which made my day i mean that's pretty bad when you actually cause your athlete you're training to do a quad but my ego was stroked so i was pretty i was pretty happy with that so sorry dane but 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 dane 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 would dane's a great endurance athlete actually i always thought he'd make an elite midfielder in the afl he's big 90 kilo and I can pump out sub 3k uh, 1k uh, sub three minute he's a good athlete he's, a, he's got he's got a good uh, hybrid uh, but he, he probably never endowed with pure power like I was <laughs> that was pretty yeah, funny yeah, yeah. more aerobic yeah okay well th- thanks for jumping on mate what are you excited about for 2021 I think that I, I, I finished up with Shanghai uh, I'm working with Shanghai Institute of Sport and a year and a half ago about 14 15 months ago they transferred me to the team pursuit cycling the four four guys that go around and I, I wasn't that interested but I've, I've become fascinated by it it's probably the fastest improving sport in the world the team pursuit it's, it's going to be huge if Tokyo goes ahead between Denmark Australia New Zealand and uh, a few other countries and the mix of physiology and science and uh, training methods and data that's involved to improve team pursuit has really fascinated me. So I've got right into it last year and trying to help this team win the China Games in, to, in, in, in September this year, which is the, the big dance in, in uh, every four years in China. And, yep. and I think some of the guys... So, so, so yeah, so I've become really interested in that. And then obviously I've got a few online clients around the world, just a little bit more in tennis than anything. And uh, yeah, once I get back to Australia at some stage, I, I, uh, I, I want to coach athletes still, so. 
um, just keep improving and keep developing. Yeah. Fantastic, mate. Well, yeah, it's been great to have you on and hear your story from the start to, all the way through to all the AFL clubs and, and different sports around the world that you've uh, you've been involved with and made a big impact and. Yeah, I've certainly le- learned a lot and I'm sure many others that have engaged in the chat and, and those that listen to the podcast in the future will as well. So thanks thanks heaps for jumping on, mate. All the way over in China too. Yeah, well, I, I think, I think I'm think i happiest that this thing worked. <laughs> I'm a little bit worried about the whole thing being blocked. But uh, yeah, no, thanks for having me. Uh, that was interesting. And uh, yeah, good luck with everything. Thanks thanks for having me on. I really, it was good chat. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Awesome, Morris. All the best. Preparation. All right. Hope you guys win. Yeah, well, yeah, I think it'll be a brown paper bag if, if we win there. Yeah. Catch you, mate. All right, all right. Guys, make sure if you enjoyed this episode to subscribe to our website. We've got over a 1,000 footballers, um, so you can head over to preparelikeapro.com where you'll receive a free strength and conditioning program and a free high-performance presentation from our AFL experienced strength and conditioning coaches. If you want to work with one of our coaches and work with us one-on-one in person if you're based in Melbourne or around the country, just email us at support at preparelikeapro.com. Thank you, guys.